All right, well, let's go to God's Word. If you want to take out your sermon note sheet, if you're new with us, you'll find that inside your bulletin. As we are in week number five in a verse-by-verse study through the New Testament book of James that we are calling When Faith Grows Up. Throughout this book, what James does is he teaches us what mature Christian faith really looks like. And our text today, James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26, you can think of it this way. It's the central theme to the entire book. It's the central text to the entire book of James. James. And so everything that James talks about before our text this morning points to it, and everything after points back to it. So let's go ahead and read what James has to say. And as we do, I want you to take notice how many times the word faith and deeds and actions is linked throughout. So let's go ahead and start. Verse 14, James writes, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds." You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Now, the question that James is asking here in these 13 verses is, is your faith dead or alive? You know, this passage reminds me of my Sunday school years when I was a kid growing up in Sunday school. How many of you uh, know the song, If You're Saved and You Know It? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay, go something like this. If you're saved and you know it, clap your hands. If you're saved and you know it, clap your hands. What's the next line? If you're saved and you know it, then your life will surely show it. If you're saved and you know it, clap your hands. Okay, you see why I don't lead worship. Okay, but you didn't think I was going to let you out of here without doing the whole thing. Everybody stand up. Come on, come on. Everybody stand up. Little participation this morning. Now, I want to hear you nice and loud. I want them down in children's church to think children's church is going on up here, okay? So here we go. We're going to sing it together nice and loud. Ready? If you're saved and you know it, clap your hands. If you're saved and you know it, clap your hands. If you're saved and you know it, then your life will surely show it. If you're saved and you know it, clap your hands. 
All right, verse two. If you're saved, then you know it. Stomp your feet. If you're saved, then you know it. Stomp your feet. If you're saved, then you know it. Then your life will surely show it. If you're saved, then you know it. Stomp your feet. Verse three. If you're saved, then you know it. Say amen. Amen. If you're saved, then you know it. Say amen. Amen. If you're saved, then you know it. Then your life will surely show it. If you're saved, then you know it. Say amen. Amen. One more verse. Here we go. If you're saved, then you know it. Do all three. If you're saved, then you know it, do all three. Amen. Amen. If you're saved, then you know it, then your life will surely show it. If you're saved, then you know it, do all three. Amen. All right. You guys are good sports. Good job. Good job. Takes me back. Takes me back. Now, I wanted to sing that song because did you catch, all right, I got to get you all settled down now. You guys are having too much fun. Did you catch the most important line in that song? If you're saved and you know it, then what? Yeah, your life will surely show it. Someone once said that faith is like calories. You can't see them, but you can see their effect. Okay? You can't see faith, but you can see the effect of faith in a person's life. If there's no deeds, then what that means is faith is dead. Once again, verse 17, James says, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Okay? Otherwise, look, the proof is in the pudding. So what James's intent here with this passage is, is to get his readers to examine their faith to determine whether they have faith that is dead or alive. And he does so by really asking three very important questions of us. So what we're going to do is we're going to work through each one of these questions. And as we do, what I want you to do is I want, to, uh, want you to evaluate your faith. So let's start with question number one. James asks us this, is your faith more than verbal? Number one, is your faith more than verbal? So what James is asking us is, are we a professor of faith, or are we a professor of faith or just a professor of faith? Does our faith talk result in an actual faith walk? If our If our answer to that is no, then it means our faith is dead. Look at it, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, remember he's talking to Christians, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Now that's a rhetorical question. Faith that has no deeds is not good for anything is what James is saying. It's useless And he goes on to give a couple of reasons why. First, he tells us that verbal faith doesn't save. Look at it. Can such faith save them? What's the answer? No. Verbal faith alone doesn't save someone. And that is a very sobering reality. 
Because what that means is it's possible for a person to fool themselves into thinking they have a saving faith when they really don't have one at all. Now, now listen to me. This is so important for you to understand. Not everyone who says they're a Christian really is one. Faith that is only verbal is not saving faith. And you say, I don't know about that. Well, Jesus said the same thing. He said it in a different way, but let me take you to Matthew chapter 7. Sermon on the Mount. Jesus talking about people. You want to know if people are really saved or not? You want to know if they're genuine or not? You want to know if they have a right relationship with God or not? Look what Jesus says. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown to, into the fire. Watch this. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Otherwise, you're going to recognize people spiritually by what they do, not by what they say, but what they what? Do, how they live out their life. Their actions reveal the truth. The real truth is what Jesus is saying. Now look what he goes on to say in verse 21. Not everyone who, what's the word? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. So what's the connection that Jesus is making? Once again, verbal faith alone doesn't save. Listen, the proof that a person's faith is real is obedience to some sort of level. It's found in how they live out their life. Listen, faith in Jesus without repentance is nothing but dead faith. Faith in Jesus without any conviction about how we live our life according to God's word is nothing but dead faith. You know, as a pastor, I get concerned when people say, look, I'm a Christian, but they have no conviction when it comes to living God's word out in their life. And I get concerned because what that could mean is that their faith may be dead. Faith without deeds is proof of a dead faith. Jesus here is saying the very same thing as James. And that's sobering to think about. Because that means there are going to be lots of people who expect to be in heaven one day that are not going to be there. That's why Jesus says, wide is the road, right? That leads to destruction. And narrow is the road that leads to life. So verbal faith alone doesn't save. Look at the second thing that James tells us. Verbal faith, it, it doesn't serve It doesn't serve very well. And he goes on to give us an example of how faith and deeds go hand in hand. Look what James says, verse 15. He gives a little parable. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? And so he's using that as an example. Watch this. In the same way, faith by itself if it is not accompanied by action, is what? It's dead. So once again, the point that James is making, faith without action is dead. Listen, think about this. When the life of Jesus is really alive on the inside of you, it's going to come out. 
I mean, if, you, if you're truly born again and Jesus is really in there, and I'm not saying you live a perfect Christian life because none of us do, but, but there's, when there's the life of Christ in you, it changes you from the inside out. It's going to come out. Listen, you're going to feel convicted about sin and want to do something about it. You're going to care about the things that Jesus cares about, and you're going to want to do something about it. You're going to feel compassion towards the things that he has compassion about and want to do something about it. Ultimately, what happens if Jesus is really in you, the life of Jesus moves you to action to one degree or another. So think about this. If your life is not moving towards holiness... If there's not sanctification happening on some level, if you're not moving towards embracing more and more of God's word in your life, if you're not moving towards loving people and serving people, you have to stop and wonder how alive your faith really is. Because verbal faith doesn't live for Jesus very well. Look what the Apostle John says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 and 18. John says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with what? Actions and in truth. Listen, that's what maturity looks like. Listen, we don't just talk about loving people, we actually do it. We don't just talk about serving other people, we actually do it. We don't just talk about other people laying down their life for others, we actually join in and lay down our lives for others too. That's part of what mature faith looks like. Because here's the deal, when Jesus is alive on the inside of us and we're allowing him to have his way, when we're truly placing our faith in him, it's going to end up flowing out of us. If you want to know how alive, how healthy, how mature your faith is, how you love with actions and in truth is a big sign of that. So verbal faith doesn't say, verbal faith alone doesn't serve very well, and verbal faith doesn't survive. It, it doesn't last because it was never genuine faith to begin with. That's why James says, look at it, verse 17, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. And, and I witness this all the time as a pastor. You know, people come into this place and they call out to Jesus because their life is a mess and they need his help. By, by the way, that's a good reason to reach out to Jesus, amen? Okay, that's, that's where most of our journeys with Jesus started. How many are thankful you called out to Jesus and he was there for you? But what happens for many people is they come and they make a verbal commitment to Jesus and they're all good as long as Jesus does what they want him to do the way he, they want him to do it. As long as he doesn't require them to give up too much of their sin. As long as they don't have to make too many sacrifices, they're in. But eventually what they find out is real, genuine faith is about following Jesus, not Jesus following them. And if they don't want to do that, they're gone. They're out. And when that happens, can I tell you, it's evidence that they really had nothing but dead faith. It was nothing but an empty confession. 
James sums it up this way in verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. There's going to be fruit if there's genuine faith. Listen, if, there, if there's no root of faith, then there ain't going to be any fruit of faith. And something that doesn't produce fruit is dead, am I right? Now, let me just say something important that I think is important for you to understand because some people, when they read this passage in James uh, and what he's saying here, they get thoroughly confused. And here's the question. Is James contradicting Paul here? You know, God used the apostle Paul to pen amazing doctrine that we stand on uh, with our faith, in our Christian faith. It's all throughout his writings. And Paul's major doctrine is that we're saved through faith alone by grace, right? So in light of that core doctrine of Christianity, is James contradicting Paul here? And the answer is no. James and Paul, they're fighting back to back, but they're fighting different enemies. So let me, let me help you understand the difference between the two. Paul is addressing justification before God. That's the root of your faith. It's all based on what Jesus did for you, right? Your salvation is by faith through grace, or by faith alone through grace. How many are thankful for that? Can't earn it. James is addressing justification before men. He's talking about the fruit of our faith. And so if there's a root, then there's going to be what? Fruit. If there's no fruit, then that probably means there's no root. Okay? They're actually talking about the same thing. And Paul actually addresses this together in Ephesians chapter 2. Let me show you this. Paul talks about both of these issues. Uh, this is the passage uh, where, you know, we're dead in our sins and, and we become born again or alive in Christ through grace. So let's read it. Watch this. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, what did he do? Made us alive with Christ. We're talking about being born again, right? We become spiritually alive in Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, okay? How did we earn that? No. Why? Watch. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by what? Works. Works so that no one can boast. So there's the justification before God. But look what happens next. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do what? Good works. Good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. If Jesus is in there, to some degree or another, he's going to flow out of you. I'm just telling you, that's how that works. So they're talking about, this is not in conflict. Not, back to James. Question number one, what was it? Is your faith just verbal? Okay. Is, if it's just talk, that's not a saving faith. Here's question number two. Is your faith more than creed? Is your faith more than truths that you believe? Now look at verse 19. James says, you believe that there is one God, good, wonderful. Okay, now let me stop for a moment. What James is doing here is he's referencing one of the most important truths that Jewish people believed. Okay, you remember back in chapter one, verse one, at the beginning of James, we found out that James was writing this letter to Jewish Christians scattered throughout the Roman Empire, okay? His Jewish audience, when he wrote this letter, would have very quickly understood the significance of what he just said. 
Let me, let me show it to you. James is actually referencing Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Look at it with me. It reads this way. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is what? One. Is one. This verse is the opening line of a prayer that the Jewish people would say every single morning and every single evening called the Shema. It was made up of different scripture verses, and this was the opening line, doctrinal statement to that prayer. It was a core doctrinal belief that every single Jewish person believed. Now, with that in mind, go back to James. Once again, you believe that there is one God. Good. That's wonderful. That's a good thing. That is so important. How many of you know good doctrinal beliefs are very important? Yes, they are, but you can have sound doctrinal belief and still be dead in your faith. How in the world is that possible? Well, James gives us an example. Look at this. Even the demons believe that and shudder. I mean, even the demons believe Deuteronomy 6.4 is totally true. In fact, let me shock you a little more. The demons believe the entire Bible from cover to cover is true but they don't have living faith. They don't have a faith that's alive. It says the demons even shudder knowing it's all true. So let me, let me tell you what all this means as far as we're concerned. A person can believe the right truths, have a good doctrinal foundation in their life, feel very deeply about those truths and never be saved. You can believe that God's real, that Jesus is his one and only son, that he died on the cross, that his innocent blood can pay the price for your sin and still not be saved. That's, that's amazing to think about. So think about it this way. A person can be enlightened in their mind and even stirred in their emotions and still be lost. Do you know what that is a definition of? That's a definition of demonic faith, according to James. Faith in the mind, in the emotions only. So, so the question we have to ask is, well, what is saving faith then? What is faith that is actually alive? Listen, here it is. It not only involves the mind and the emotions, but the will as well. Some people are only two-thirds of the way there of being saved. They, they wrap their mind around it. It stirs their emotion, but they never acted on it. And that leads us to question number three that James proposes to us as we examine our faith. Does your faith move you to action? You know what, you know what that's called? You ready? Let me tell you what it's called. It's called trust. Everybody say trust. That's what it's called. It's called obedience. It's called trust. Faith that's alive trusts. Faith that's dead doesn't. Let me, let me give you a couple of examples so you can wrap your mind around this. If I were to tell you that Pastor Josh has absolute faith that when I drive across the Chesapeake Bay Bridge, I have faith that that bridge is going to hold my weight. If I told you that, but I refuse to drive across it, would you think I really have faith in that bridge? Of course not. That's not faith. Faith is not just words. It, it, it's actions. It's, it's trust. Do, do, let me give you another example. Do you know how to know, do you know how you can know that this church really does have faith in God's plan for a new building? Okay, I took, hey, yeah, give the Lord a hand, right? Took this picture this week, the parking lot's going in, right? It's 
pretty cool. God's moving out there. Um, we've been pursuing this project by faith for 11 years now. Now, imagine with me that, that, let's pretend this is not even there. Imagine with me if 11 years later, we had no property, no land, no funds, no plan, and all it was would talk. Would you really believe that we had faith in that? Of course not. Our faith as a church has been evidenced by our actions, am I right? That's the point that James is going to make by using two examples from the Old Testament. One example is Father Abraham, and another one is a lady by the name of Rahab. And what I love about these two examples is they are polar opposites in so many ways. Think about this. Abraham, a patriarch. Rahab, a prostitute. Abraham, a Jew. Rahab, a Gentile. Abraham, a man, Rahab, a woman, both of them get this saved by faith through God's grace. I mean, isn't it evidence once again that God is indeed no respecter of persons? We talked about that last time, that anyone who will put their faith in him for salvation will be saved and God can great, great, do great things through them if they'll trust him. Now, how do we know that each of them had faith that was alive? Their deeds their actions, okay? It was evidenced by their trust in God's plan. Let's look at the example of Abraham first. Verse 21, was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? Remember that story, Genesis chapter 22? God comes to him. He's an old man now. Isaac's a teenager. He waited a lot of years for that one and only son that came through Sarah. And God says, Abraham, I want you to take your son. I'm going to show you a particular mountain. I want you to take him up there and sacrifice him to me. And Abraham says, okay. And he gets his son and he takes him up to the mountain. And you remember the story. God did not allow, allow him to sacrifice his son. It was a test of his faith, right? And what did we find out? We found out that his faith was alive, didn't we? We found that out by what he what? Did. And then that's the point that James is making, and it says in verse 22, you see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith, watch this, was made complete by what he did. Okay? It wasn't just verbal. It wasn't just, I believe, it was also trust, wasn't it? And it says, in the scripture was fulfilled. That says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. And then James says this to sum it up. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. So, so let me put this together for you. Abraham's justification before God, the root of his faith, actually happens all the way back in Genesis chapter 15. Remember when, when God told him, I'm going to give you a son, and God says, I'm going to make your, your descendants as numerous as the stars, and it says Abraham believed God, and what's the verse, what does it say? And God, what, credited to him as righteous. That's where the root of his faith took place. And then at the end of his life, we see Abraham's justification before men, the fruit of his faith, and really all in between we see the fruit of his faith, don't we? I mean, even when he didn't get it right, he was still striving to, 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 to be where God wanted him to be. I mean, he was just constantly trusting God and constantly trusting God. And, 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 and the biggest proof that he really had a live faith was when he was willing to sacrifice his son to the Lord. Once again, faith that is alive 
is evidenced by deeds. Okay? He's not saved by works. It's the proof that he indeed had faith. So James goes on to give another example, the example of Rahab. It says, in the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute, watch this, considered righteous for what she what? Did. When she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. So you remember that story, children of Israel getting ready to go conquer the promised land? They're going to cross the Jordan River. They've already crossed the Jordan River. They're getting ready to go take Jericho. And they, Joshua sends two spies out. And they hide themselves at Rahab's place because Rahab, Rahab's running a brothel. That's what she did for a living. And when she finds out who they are, she is gripped by, hey, we believe in your, we believe in your God. We're afraid of you guys. And, and basically, she hides them. She sends them away. And you remember what the spies uh, told her? They said, when we come to conquer this, if you'll hang a scarlet thread out your window or rope out your window, that'll be a sign for us to save you and God's going to save you. And do you remember when the children of Israel came and the walls fell? What's the only portion of the wall that didn't fall? Where the red cord was hanging out the window. Her faith was evidenced by her what? Her actions. Listen, if, if Rahab and... Abraham don't trust with their feet. We never, we never, we're not here talking about them today. I mean, how did Abraham's whole journey with God begin? Abraham, I'm going to do great things with you. Oh, that's great, God, but you got to go where I'm telling you. And he was willing to what? Go where God was telling him. That's evidence of true faith. Can I, can I tell you? It, I, I know that, that at times we can, we can be hesitant and drag our feet and not want to go where God wants us to go, even as Christians, amen. But when you drag your feet and don't want to go where God wants you to go, that's evidence that your faith is not as mature as you think it is. And for some people, it may mean they don't have faith at all. I don't think we should doubt our faith. I'm just telling you, it's an indicator how healthy your faith is really is. Now, James ends with one final illustration. He's full of them here. Watch this. James chapter 2, verse 26. As the body without a spirit is dead. Okay, now, we all understand this. Okay, how many of you have been to the funeral home lately? Okay, we understand that a funeral home, when you have a body laying in the casket, what's not in that body anymore? The spirit, it's been separated. The spirit has gone on to eternity, but the body is left behind. Okay, when there's no spirit in the body, what is the body? It's dead. Such a simple illustration for us. James says, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Here's my question as we close. I think there's two groups of people in here this morning. I think there are some of you in here this morning that you're two-thirds of the way there, but you're not there. It's just verbal. It's just creed. Have you really put your full trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior? If you want to know the answer to that, are you following him? 
that, that's how you know the answer. So maybe you're here this morning and you realize I have not fully turned my life over to the Lord. Would you bow your heads with me? Every head bowed and every eye closed. As you've examined your faith this morning, do you fit in that category? Listen, God loves you. He cares about you. If your faith is dead, it doesn't save you. And Jesus is in this place this morning and he's calling your name. So if you're here this morning and say, you know what? I'm going to dedicate all my life to the Lord. Today's a new day for me. I want my faith to be alive. If you have never fully submitted your life to the Lord, you may have said some words, you may have said some prayers, you may even believe some truth, but if you have never said, God, I'm going to trust you with my feet, I'm going to trust you with my life, then you're not all the way there. And so if that's you, maybe right now you need to say, Lord, I put all 100% of my life into your hands today. Would you do that right where you are? Lord, I put all, all my life, like, may you be the Lord of every single area of my life. I'm going to love you with all my heart, with all my mind, with all my soul, and with all my strength. I'm going to follow you wherever you say go. I think that's the issue for some of us. And then I think there's an issue. It's not the issue for some of us. There's another group in here. It's not that you're not saved. It's just that your faith is not as healthy as you think it is. And it's, it's evidenced by what you, you do. And maybe there's some fruit. I, I feel like the Lord would say this. There's some fruit that God wants to bear in your life. There's some things that God wants to use your life for. There's some things that God wants to do through your life. There's some, there's some messes that God wants to clean up in your life. And, and what's, what's hindering that is it there's some unhealthiness in your faith because you settle for two-thirds of what faith is supposed to be. It's not only supposed to be verbal. It's not only supposed to be based on truth, but, but it's supposed to be based on, on following. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to me except through, or no one comes to the Father except through me. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. It's following him. It's real is where God can do the most in your life. And so maybe there's some areas in your life right now that the Lord is pressing on in your life. And I don't know what it may be, but would you confess it to the Lord right now? Maybe it's an attitude. Maybe it's a habit. Maybe it's a lifestyle that God is asking you to get straight. I just know this, that God loves you too much not to deal with you about your sin. There's nothing that God would desire more than to bear fruit and much fruit in and through your life. That, that comes through a mature faith. And a mature faith is alive. It's alive because it, it allows the life of Christ to guide the way. So would you just go to the Lord right now and say, Lord, this is my area. This is what I'm confessing to you right now in the name of Jesus. Would you ask the Lord to give you a, a fresh heart, a clean heart, a right spirit that you may follow the way he is asking you to follow? Father, I pray that we would not be just people of talk and people of belief, but Lord, we would be people of walk. That Lord, our faith would be alive and vibrant 
and usable in this world for you. Lord, help us to trust you with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul, and with all our strength. Thank you for sending your son to love us. In the name of Jesus, we all said together, amen. Amen. Would you go ahead and stand with me? We're going to sing that song one more time. No, we're not. We're not going to sing it. You're going to wake up tomorrow morning singing that if you're happy or if you're saved and you know it. I'm going to ask our prayer partners if they go ahead and come at this time. If you're here, maybe you want to pray about something that God hit your heart on in this message. Maybe there's something else going on in your life you need prayer for. Maybe it's somebody else you want to pray for. If you need prayer, come see one of our prayer partners. The rest of you, God bless you. Have a great Sunday. We'll see you next week.